Hello, my name's Richard Moss, and I make a podcast called The Life and Times of Video Games. It's a narrative and documentary-style show about games' history and how the medium has evolved over time. Each episode or bonus interview soundbite delves into some aspect of the ups and downs of the industry, or the design, development, and legacy of the best or most interesting games ever made. It's all carefully edited, complete with original music and sound design, and a mix of interviews and deep research. All set up to tell you a great story about the secret worlds behind or within video games. I hope you enjoy the show. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Hey, yeah you. Did you know that Arcast is on Patreon? Go check out patreon.com slash Arcast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small such as being part of our patron-exclusive game giveaways, or join one of our higher tiers to get a shout-out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash ArtCast. Thanks for helping us, and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another episode of Arcast Mini. This is Arcast Mini number 19, and uh, this is a very special one because uh, Robert here actually has some uh, some really awesome interviews. Oh, man, for once I'm back on an Arcast Mini. It, it, only took, <laughs> it only took three interviews to get this done. But, uh, yeah, um, so essentially I did some traveling over the last few weeks to a few events, uh, and I got to talk to different people about some upcoming games here. So I thought, you know, we could put them all together for a special Arcast Mini episode. Um, now, for the first one here, it was a little bit loud. Uh, it was the Mortal Kombat 11 event, the reveal event. Mm. And uh, for some reason, they put the interview space right next to this booth where you could destroy stuff. Like, you could destroy old PCs or whatever with hammers, I guess. So, oh, like, yeah, I saw that from people's like footage of like the actual reveal event itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was fun, but it was a terrible space for an interview. So, um, there might be a little bit of noise in this interview, but I got to talk to one of the designers behind Mortal Kombat 11. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and present that interview first. And take it away, me. All right, guys, we are here at the Mortal Kombat event, and I'm sitting here with... Brian LeBaron, and you're a designer on um, NetherRealm Studios on Mortal Kombat 11. Nice. Um, how long have you been with NetherRealm? 20 years this year. Nice. Yeah, so I've been there for a long time. Almost since the whole thing began with Mortal Kombat. Yeah, That's crazy. I, yeah, I, got, I came in around the end of, beginning of 4. Nice. Pretty much. No, I mean, the game has changed so much over the years, especially when it comes to visuals and gameplay. I mean, like, how do you guys go about, like, when you set up the next chapter in each series, you, like, sit there and be like, okay, what can we do different this time but still feel like Mortal Kombat? I feel like some of it is while you're working on the previous game, you have ideas that you know you won't be able to finish or get into that game, and you're like, put that on the back burner. As soon as we're done, boom, start thinking about how we're going to make that work with the next project or how to evolve everything. Mm-hmm. So we always try to take stuff more and more and more as from previous games to the next game. Right, but something that adds the overall idea that you're still in a fight to the death. Yeah. You're going to kill your opponent spectacularly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only so yeah. many ways. Yeah. But 
with Mortal Kombat 11, what do you think is probably the, the most evolved thing about the game? Is it, it the way we use gear and customization? Is it something within the fighting itself? I think there are a few major things that are different. One, the one major thing is what you mentioned, the gear, and being able to use gear, like different types of gears to be able to customize your look, which is something like, you know, it's really popular. Uh, I've always loved, like, wanted a flaming spear, you know, like, cool stuff. You feel like you've earned it. You have tons of that stuff in the game. Um, you know, there's only a little sample here today, so you'll see a lot more when the real game, final game comes out. And then within the fighting itself, I mean, there, there's a you know, reversals, which can be applied there. Yeah, I mean, well, it's probably the toughest part that went into, like, making sure the engine was balanced for that. Well, we have the final blow stuff that we kind of separated out, right? So now we used to have one meter that would just be, um, you know, everything would come from that. Defensive, offensive, and then your super move, everything would come from that. So, or your x-rays, or whatever we call them in the previous right. games. But for now, it's it's always going to be whenever you get low life, you have one you can use, whether it's the first round or the second round. If you miss it, it'll recharge, but you only get one. So it's different, and that's a different mechanic. Now you have to maintain two things which I think adds depth and also makes it more accessible. So like more casual gamers will be able to do them because they're, fire, they're up there, they're ready to fire off. You don't need to have a meter for them. You just need to get low on life, which happens more often, but then you know, stronger players or more pro players or more advanced players will find a way to you know, use it as like a management game. So not, not to mention giving somebody a chance to maybe come back in it. Exactly, yeah. That's always use. Sorry. It's gives a huge advantage to like letting players be able to come back, especially the casual side of things. I think, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't ruin anything or break anything, but I think it does help a lot. Yeah, and plus it looks really cool when you play. And it does look cool. That's another thing I wanted to bring up here. Like Mortal Kombat XL, you know, did great with the graphics in its own right, and then yeah. you guys move forward with Injustice too. And now we're at Mortal Kombat 11. What do you think is probably the toughest part in, in maintaining like? an ever-changing look with the Mortal Kombat landscape. I think the hardest thing is just to making it look better, especially the gore. Like, I mean, some of our gores in the last few games were really, really graphic and very visual, very, looked really realistic. So, like, there's a fine line of, like, realism and over-the-top that we have. So it's not completely, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, it's just not... It, it's, it finds that certain balance. Yeah, you want to have a balance. Like, you, you know, know it's Mortal Kombat, Kombat yeah, it but is. it's not like you know, not like your typical Mortal yeah. Kombat. This goes like up. Yeah, we definitely took it up a big notch with uh, with everything in this game. Do you think um, the over the top carnage would be too much for some stomach, or do you think it's not the right line? I don't think so. I think it's I fine. Think it's fine. I mean, we try not to do it. Realism, we try to stay away from. We do more comedic. Mm. So if you blow somebody's head up, it's gonna blow up a little bit more comedic. Not like. You won't see anything really, really, shouldn't really offend too many, I hope, but yeah. you never know. But, you know, just that right thing with it. Yeah, right. it's definitely Mortal Kombat. Yeah, you definitely know it's Mortal Kombat, so, yeah. And um, when it came to the design process, like adding a new character into the mix, were there any right. challenges in making sure they balance out with veterans like Baraka and Scarlet? Well, I mean, like we, with, Garrus? With, with Mortal Kombat, we usually reinvent the characters from the ground up for each game. Mm. So it's not like other, some, some games just, you know, take the previous characters and add some stuff. We're kind of reinventing from the ground up. So Scorpion, of course, has a spear and his teleport, but he also has a lot of stuff he's never had before. Yeah, I saw the, the spear swinging combo. Yeah, like lots of stuff. Yeah. And with the gear, be able to equip different moves and unequip different moves with your gear. So gear, some of that stuff is based off of uh, your equipped moves that are different. So you have a lot more than you 
would have had previously. So I think that balancing the characters out would be, uh, it's kind of like from the ground up for all the characters in the game, because we're kind of re re restarting them. So it's not so bad. When it comes to skin selection, you know, like with the alternative costumes that each yeah. character has, like how much thought goes into that? Be like, you know what would be really cool? If we gave Baraka a face mask to hide that steely grin of his. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some thought process going on that. That's more on the art side, but more than uh, than on our side. But, right, okay, yeah. You know, um, we, we say, hey, we want to have X amount, and then we're like, all right, go design X amount of these things, and then yeah. gotta go make 50 pair of helmets or 50 whatever. So it's. It's cool. Sometimes you get back some stuff. You're like, "Ooh, what's that?" And then you're like, "All right, let's go. Let's not do that one." Yeah, that one's gonna be a little yeah. cheesy. Yeah. Gonna be a Donald but Duck costume. Not, yeah, we're not gonna do it all, you know the bunny ears and stuff like that. And then um, final question: Like in the years that you work with NetherRealm, obviously you worked on a number of Mortal Kombat games. Have you like developed like a favorite character that you've grown attached to over the years? Or it, it, I'd say it, probably my favorite character over the years, probably the first character I ever picked which was Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat 2. Nice. It was the first one that I fell in love with. And I grew up in arcades and sitting at my 7-Eleven, 10 years old, playing the game, you know? So, um, yeah, I can't I can't imagine any other character ever since. I've always been a fan of him. Second favorite, probably, probably like a Scorpion or a Sub-Zero, maybe Reptile, you know. I'm a Baraka person, so yeah. you think about today's reveal. It was pretty nice. Pretty nice, yeah. I mean, we, it was hard for us to hold back, man. We were used to, like, yeah. giving some stuff out at E3, and this time around we had hush hush. Oh, nobody, yeah. nobody say anything. My yeah. friends were like, where'd you disappear to? You haven't announced the new game. Where'd you go? You know, so. Well, thank you for taking that talk to us. We're looking forward to the game when it comes yeah. out in April. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're all really excited. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. All right, so yeah, Mortal Kombat 11 drops uh, April 23rd, uh, and you know that the, I'm telling you, David, it's going to be a fun game based on uh, that interview. There, we're going to have a, we're going to have good times with that, especially now that we got uh, Cabal and uh, yeah, Devora, Devora, yeah, yeah, the Bug Lady from uh, from Mortal Kombat 10, <laughs> the like <bug> it's lady. <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah, it's just really awesome to see like what what, uh, what they're coming up with here, and uh, and also with the, with the return of Kano too. I'm I'm really excited for that. So yeah. it's, it's really interesting to see how that uh, how that uh, cast is fleshing out. Yeah, not only that, fleshing out. <laughs> Fatality. <laughs> I had joke. to. <laughs> you had to. But no, um, that's not the only game coming out here that's on the, on the, you know, on the fighting circuit there. We're also going to get Dead or Alive 6. It's dropping March 1st. And uh, mm-hmm. Koei Tecmo invited me out to, to do a little hands on with the near final version of the game. It plays really nicely. And I also got to talk to uh, the main producer and director behind Dead or Alive 6. So let's get to that interview. Hey guys, so we are here. We're checking out Dead or Alive Six. I'm here with the producer and the director of the series. Uh, first of all, congratulations. The game looks and plays really great. Oh, uh, I really enjoy. It. Oh, you know, I, I know for the longest time, you know, like Dead or Alive Five, it, it continued on for some time there. But when you guys jumped into Dead or Alive Six, um, what was the focus that you guys had in mind? Did you want to make it more about a focus on the fighting? Did you want to open it up to other players? I mean, what, what did you, what was the drive when it came to putting together the sequel? Uh, with VOA, there are different types of fans. For example, there's uh, just fighting game fans. There's also fans uh, who are just mainly focused on the characters. As well as, um, you can't really, it's hard to say, but um, there's there's also fans, of course, of the whole sexuality image of VOA. Mm-hmm. And as much as possible, we're trying to create a game wherein uh, we, can, we can create the best experience for those all of those fans. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Um, now, the first thing I noticed is uh, something new with the gameplay, this, this special technique. It almost seems like a way to, like, you know, when you change these moves together, you can actually turn around the flow of the match. How hard was it to implement this system with the mechanics that were already in place with Dead or Alive? Uh, balancing was, of course, the hardest. Uh, we can't have that special move just be a button for to turn around the entire fight completely. But at the same time, we can't also have that move be really weak that would only be new user, new players that would be using it. Okay. Um, now tell us about, I mean, we saw Nico in action here, and she actually fits into a main part of the, of the game's quest mode. Um, I know we can't talk too much about the story because they're still kind of got it under wraps, but tell us how, like, she plays a part in the Dead or Alive universe. I mean, you don't have to tell me story details, just like, when you put her character together, what was the, the focus on that, basically? With the DOA series, especially uh, from Five, uh, there were three main uh, groups: uh, Ninjas, DOA Tech, and Mist. Where in Mist is more of the uh, evil scientist group type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we wanted a character in that group, and that's where we came up with Nico, who focuses on cybernetics. Okay. Um, one really good thing I like about the game that I've played thus far is the accessibility. Because with the quest mode, you kind of get introduced to some of the gameplay mechanics while at the same time being rewarded. Is this something that you wanted to throw into the game to bring in new players who wanted to get used to the mechanics? Is it just something that you wanted to add for diehard fans? Get it? Was it? Is it something for everybody? The quest mode is actually not made for a full fighting game veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've made it for people who are new to the game as well as for people who want to try out new characters to be able to learn the characters themselves and learn some things at the same time. Yeah, it's, a great, it's a great way to get it accessible, to get people in there. It's, it's really cool. Um, do you know if Koi Tecmo is going to get some sort of push to make Dead or Alive 6 like much larger on the competitive side of things, like it with tournaments and all that, or is that not planned out yet? We actually wanted to enter the scene as an entire company, and so from the bottom to the top, uh, we're hoping to get into the esports. And finally, I was going to ask who your favorite character is, but I think we've kind of figured that out. (laughs) So instead, why don't I just take this a different way? To somebody who's new to the Dead or Alive series, do you have a recommended character to start out with, or do you think just people should try everybody and see how they feel? Of course, it would be the two new characters, Diego and Nico. They don't have a lot of difficult moves, so I believe it's accessible for them. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to us. Uh, We're looking forward to the game when it comes out in March. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And Dead or Alive 6 again drops March 1st. And you gotta love a producer and director who dresses up like one of his characters. He dressed up like Bayman. Gotta mm-hmm. love it. Bayman is Bay. <laughs> yeah, Bayman is Bay. There you go. And then uh, for my uh, for my final interview, uh, I recently went to an event for The Division 2, uh, which is coming out uh, March 15th from Ubisoft. And I got the chance to talk to one of their team members as well about what we can expect from the sequel. Uh, it's a new setting, Washington, D.C., what we can expect from its endgame content. Because once you beat the main game, that's when things really pick up, apparently, in terms of difficulty mm. and excitement. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get to that interview and go. 
Okay, guys, we are here at Ubisoft's Ubisoft. Ubisoft we're here at the, the Division Two event, <laughs> and uh, we are talking with Keith Evans, uh, senior lead designer at Red Storm Entertainment. Okay, and uh, you also worked in the original Division along with Division Two, right? Uh, yeah, I did. I joined the team uh, making the first game near launch, and then I worked on uh, all the post-launch content uh, for the three years of post-launch. Nice. Now, um, the response to the Division obviously very huge. Fans yeah. loved it too, but there was also a lot of feedback in terms of what could be improved the second time around. Absolutely. How much did you take that guys to heart when it came to putting together Division Two? Uh, we, you know, we took it pretty seriously. We've had a very like open conversation with our community for the whole post-launch. I would say uh, there was a lot of anticipation for the first game. A lot of really engaged members of the community. Um, so it's both this thing where we've had this luxury of running this post-launch game for three years, and we've done a lot of things. We've had a lot to the game, and being able to talk to the community about what they liked, what they didn't like, what was most important to them that really enriched the game experience for them. And we've tried to double down on those things for the sequel. So, you know, Endgame being a huge part on day one, adding post-launch content for free that doesn't fracture the community, those are big focuses that came directly out of, you know, conversations with the community, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one thing I noticed about this game, um, with the original Division, it was a wide-open world and everything like that, but a lot of people thought it was a little bit murky and that, that, you know, everything didn't really pick up here. Here, we got, like, Washington, D.C., we can see everything yeah. a lot more clearly now. We get a better view of enemies. I mean, when it came to changing up the design process, was this something you wanted to do right off the back? Just so like, oh, look how this world is. It's still torn to pieces, but hey, at least we can see, you know, what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think we all love building New York, right? It's a really iconic city, mm-hmm. um, but it 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 is very um, it is very samey throughout the city, right? Yeah, it's, right. You're in a concrete jungle, mm-hmm. um, so a big part of this game was to go into a place that allowed us more diversity in the environment um, and allowed us to build different type of uh, spaces to explore, combat arenas, let us adapt the AI to more open spaces. Um, having you actually fight in very natural environments, in parks, on hills, taking cover on trees. Those were places we knew we wanted to push the sequel to make it feel, you know, like the true sequel we know we wanted to build, but also to actually, you know, be able to um, to deliver different experiences. And I think you really see that in the combat specifically. What would you say is the biggest challenge in terms of just, like, building, like, a bigger and better universe for The Division 2? Well, I mean, at the start of it, it was... Manhattan was very, very accurate, but mm-hmm. we took little liberties around the space, and this time it was a huge part of the division is creating these realistic uh, environments and then projecting you know time and story and devastation onto them so now we 're starting from a place of actual you know satellite imagery mm-hmm. and starting from like a true one to one so now you 'll see everything in d c is exactly as it should be, and we were able to kind of put on top of that this uh, seven months of decay uh, that kind of really makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Not, not to mention the fact that things that pop up throughout the game, obviously, eventually when the launch comes around, we're going to have to deal with Dark Zones, Absolutely. you know, all this stuff going on with, um, with PvP. Um, like, integrating all that into an open world, is, yeah. is it a lot tougher than it looks, or is it something that you, you planned right from the get-go to make the world more interactive? We, it was something we planned from the get-go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a team dedicated to this living world system that we're kind of showing today, the whole development process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's honestly, there's a lot of things that are being tweaked and refined and uh, made better for the sequel, but I think the most obvious huge improvement from the first game is this living world because every time you log in, every time you, you know, 
maybe you've played 100 hours and you're in the end game. Just walking through the living world now, because it's an actual simulation, because it's unpredictable, it's going to be feeding you gameplay and new experiences, and it just makes the world so much more replayable than the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, really pushes it to the next level. Not to mention what you can unlock in terms of gear, in terms yeah, of finding absolutely. new stuff, finding new people to play co-op with. I mean, that, that wide open approach is one of the things that's probably going to make something really appealing right off the bat for the division. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not it's not a series of random events. And I think that's something players will really realize over time is that mm-hmm. their uh, the choices they're making in the world, what they're choosing to engage in. You know the control points they're taking back, the civilians they're saving. That actually has this ripple effect on the overall simulation. So if you're, you know, you're spending a lot of time on the you know west side of the map and that area is really locked down, that settlement's going to flourish and they're going to have more resources. And then maybe they go trade with the other settlement. And now all of a sudden there's civilians out in the world with valuable resources and they could get you know hijacked by one of the enemy factions. So right. all those things are just. Um, really layered on top. Not to mention, in fact, strongholds are incredibly hard to take apart. I just tried to do one myself, and it was horrifying results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not advised. Those are uh, for uh, for a little later in the campaign, I think. But yeah, uh, seriously, just like six guys just walk out and start shooting at me. I'm like, oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> eventually. I mean, that's a huge part of this game, though, is that mm-hmm. like there's such a power climb throughout that one through thirty. You go from you know the the division network is 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 weakened at the start of the game and. Uh, there's a lot of new tools that you're building, and you know as you progress through the campaign and you unlock all the skills and all the mods and you start getting high in gear with tons of talents and attributes and that RPG really reveals itself, you go from what is a really fun and solid cover shooter to something really deep and interesting with the RPG. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how involved you were with this decision, but when it came to the post-launch content for The Division 2 being free for the most part, mm-hmm. um, did, did you guys just decide we want to keep everybody on the same page, we don't want to divide people up with paid and unpaid? I mean, what, what led to that decision, you think? Yeah, well, I, I can tell you exactly what led to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the first games post-launch, we, we had a season pass in the mm-hmm. beginning, and I think we added... Honestly, a lot of really cool updates, really cool game modes, um, but they were all these paid expansions that uh, this started splitting the community up, um, which is unfortunate. Um, And then as we went into year two, we were done with our season pass, um, and we had to kind of reevaluate what we were going to do, and that was the first time we did huge free content drops. And the way the community responded to that and what it did for the health of the game was something we knew we wanted to push forward. So you're this time... You know, there's going to be a lot of content drops throughout the year. Really close after launch, we're going to uh, drop the eight-player raid once players have had time to gear up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of just the start. And then we'll have three large episodes that are going to add name zones and story, uh, main missions, along with, you know, we're constantly going to be supporting the organized PvP with additional modes and maps. So there's just going to be a ton of new content, and it's free so the community can just play it together. Yeah, it seems to be following the Ubisoft mantra of supporting games long term. We've seen that with Rainbow Six Siege. Yes, yes. You know, we've seen it with a lot of other releases. Yeah, the first and, division for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really great to, to see you guys do that. And you know, maybe down the road, who knows, maybe we'll see a, a Division 3. Obviously, you can't say anything. But if you sure. had to choose a location, because like <laughs> the first one was Manhattan, the second one was Washington, D.C., where do you think Division 3 pr- could probably tear it up the worst if you had to choose a location? Oh, man. I mean, that's... That's an incredibly hard question. Sorry. No, it's fine. I'm posing it's, it's, it's all fair. these challenges it's all good. on you. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, as we decided on DC this time, there were, like, the obvious reasons, raising the stakes of the story, mm-hmm. all the 
diversity in the biomes, but we looked at other cities, right? We mm -hmm. looked at other places, and some of the conversations had around, you know, Seattle, which we've we've talked about, we've shown some concept art on. There's right. just so many places we could take this story, this universe, um, so it's really open for anything. Vegas is wide open. You never yeah, know. Vegas. Awesome. Well, thank you for talking to us. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to March 15th, I believe, is when the Division 2 drops. March 15th on PS4, Xbox One, and PC, and yep. the beta's going to be dropping on February 7th. We are looking forward to it. Thanks All for right. talking to us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So again, The Division 2 dropping March 15th uh, there, David. I mean, you know, all, all these games coming out. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm exhausted already. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like fe not even February 15th yet. Ugh. I know, yeah. I've been busy. <laughs> we have been busy. But yeah, guys, we just wanted to do this little R-Cast Mini because, you know, these interviews kind of stand out in their own right, you know, get us excited for the games that are coming up in the next month and a half. Uh, I'll tell you, though, David, between the three, between Mortal Kombat, Dead or Alive, and Division 2, what are you most excited for? I mean, it's got to be Mortal Kombat 11, obviously. Um, of I mean, like for me anyway, because I, you know, because I know there's like our buddies over at Gamertag Radio, like who are really big into like the Division Two, and they're like just mm -hmm. complete fanboys for that, and that you know, that, and, and that's great, honestly. Like I know that you know that, that that game has like its own like you know hardcore fans about it, but with Mortal Kombat, I mean, that's kind of like a special thing, and especially with what NetherRealm is doing as far as like really upping the ante, it feels like as far as like not only with the brutality of like the combat itself and the fatalities and all that stuff. Uh, but also just with the uh, quality of like the story and like the presentation and like with the characters, like what you know what they're doing with them and stuff. It's uh, it, you know it's, it's really really awesome with what they're uh, with what they're, what they're coming out with uh, for that. And uh, you know I, I can't be more excited for it honestly. Indeed, uh, it's definitely fleshing out there. If you it's fleshing out, yes, finish it. <laughs> yeah, fatality. But yes, uh, we're going to keep on the ball with Mortal Kombat 11 as it goes along here over the next few months. Hopefully, we can get a member on the team on the show to talk to us mm. about Mortal Kombat. It'd be nice to have somebody again because we did have John Tobias on one of our Oddcast minis a while back. That's and right. Chat with him about several different things. So be sure to look that up in our archives, guys. And yeah, that's going to do it for Oddcast uh, Mini 19. Uh, David, do you have anything else to say? You can check out Arcast uh, on Twitter at Arc Podcast. Same thing for Facebook, facebook.com slash Arc Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at The Guilty Man. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash The DCD. Please be sure to check out our partner site, Don't Feed the Gamers, at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That's run by our good friend Liana Rupper, where her and the team there give fan-centric news and reviews in gaming. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at rcasts at retrozap.com. And be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts, especially of the Star Wars variety. There's the flagship show Brews and Blasters, along with Kanata's Castle and Starship Sabres and Scoundrels. There's also Beltway Bonthas, which combines both Star Wars and politics, so if you're of both minds, it's definitely the show for you. And there's also the Animaniacs if you're an Animaniacs fan, the Deucecast for all you movie buffs out there, and the Techno Retro Dads if you're into a variety of old school stuff. There's also us with our cast, so be sure to find us on iTunes to subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music, so there's absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. And yeah, that is Ardcast Mini number 19 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro and keep dreaming of great fatalities, I suppose. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you saw that, uh, that like a ball fatality, right? <laughs> oh, good God. That, that thing was a drag. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, well, the bad jokes just keep on coming, folks. You think the jokes are fun here? Wait till you get to the full episodes. Boy, oh. Mm, <laughs> but yeah, right. we're going to be uh, we're gonna be talking to Sean Baptiste. Oh, well, actually, you'll give that up, so probably a little bit before you get this one so be sure to keep an eye out for uh, other great episodes as well until next time catch you guys later see ya
Hey, everybody, it's Dustin from the HP Podcast. And this is Ben. We're just coming here to tell you about our show. Well, the HP Podcast. The HP Podcast is a weekly video game podcast from HandsomeFandom.com. That's also part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. And Ben, it's a little hard to describe our show because it's a little bit of everything. We get into a lot of shenanigans. We also talk about some news. We have some pretty serious topics sometimes. But sometimes uh, our friend Brandon takes a shirt off and uh, just does the show that way. So you should definitely check it out. I think he got stuck to the seat last time. It's possible. So that was that was a time yeah so anyway check out our show we would love that the hp podcast